Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. Long run is in. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm Jason Powers. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Before we get to our episode this week, I want to mention our sponsors. First off, if you want to reach out to us, reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. Let us know how what you think, how we're doing, got any suggestions for us, topics you'd like to see us cover. And now to our sponsors, Titan Home Lending. If you are anywhere in the state of Florida and you need to get financed for a home purchase, for a refinance, for a renovation, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, area code 205-790-1404. We work with veterans, first responders. We have access to conventional loans, FHA loans, VA loans, jumbo loans, and everything in between. So reach out to us at Titan Home Lending, 205 205- Seven nine zero one four zero four, and let me put you in that home of your dream. Ultimate health plans. If you have a relative or if you are of the age to take advantage of Medicare benefits, reach out to Patrick Highland at area code 813-966-1052 for all of your Medicare needs. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks for finding us on your preferred podcast platform, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever you found us, we really appreciate you finding us. I'm Jason Powers down here in Tampa, Florida. We've got a good episode for you tonight. We are going to talk all things NCAA basketball tournament with Matt Zemek, the editor at Trojan Wire. Matt covers the Pac-12, USC Athletics, football, basketball at USC, Uh, He also is a national college basketball uh, commentator, so we're going to talk to Matt about all things relative to Selection Sunday, the tournament being in in the state of Indiana, uh, some of the bubble teams, some of the, which conference in his opinion is the most dominant, uh, some of the blue bloods that are in trouble, the Kentuckys, Michigan State's, Dukes of the world that are a little, that are in some big trouble as far as getting into the tournament. And all that such. So hopefully you will enjoy our chat with Matt here in just a minute or so. Before we get to that, I just want to let you know, apologize for not being having a podcast in the last week or so. I've been under the weather with a with a viral infection. Luckily, I was not COVID positive. I took a couple of COVID tests, was negative both times, but I was just down and out, man, for about 10 or 12 days. And it was a... Uh, very interesting uh, 10 or 12 days for me. I just felt really, really weak and tired and no energy. I didn't have very many symptoms other than a fever, but I wasn't coughing and all that good stuff that most people kind of relate to either having a COVID or the flu or something. So it was, it was a very uh, interesting uh, couple of weeks for me, but 
I'm finally pretty close to back to 100%, and we're able to get you a podcast here this week. So I know uh, I have not talked to you guys since Super Bowl Sunday and my Buccaneers. I mean, what a performance by the defense and Tom Brady and company here in Tampa. So it was a glorious, it's been a glorious couple of weeks here in Tampa celebrating the Bucks in the Super Bowl. And uh, that's really Super Bowl Sunday for me was right about when I started to not feel very good. So I got to enjoy the Super Bowl and watch the game and all that stuff, but I really didn't get to enjoy the, the festivities after the game and the week after or so and all the celebration here in, this, in the city of Tampa. But all's, all's not lost. The Buccaneers are two-time Super Bowl champions. Brady and company, the defense was great. I mean, what a performance by Todd Bowles in that defense. And then obviously the offense with Byron Leftwich leading the way with Brady and company. They did enough to uh, subdue the Chiefs. So a glorious couple of weeks for uh, all of us here in Tampa as we get ready to head into the free agency period in the NFL, the combine stuff and the draft stuff's coming up before you know it but uh, we'll get to that in further episodes but all hail tampa bay b-u-c-c-a-n-e-e-r-s go bucks all right so enjoy matt zemek of trojan wire as we discuss all things ncaa basketball tournament march madness and all that stuff so enjoy our chat with matt All right, welcome back to the podcast. We appreciate you stick, sticking with us. We got a cool uh, guest now, uh, Matt, Matt Zemek. He's going to make a second appearance on the podcast. Matt is the editor at Trojan Wire. He covers all things USC, Trojan athletics, basketball, football, and beyond. So uh, we're going to talk to Matt about the landscape of college basketball as we get to the about two and a half weeks until we get to Selection Sunday. So welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me back, Jason. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so before we get into some college basketball, obviously the breaking news kind of of the day here when we're recording is Tiger Woods, his accident out in Cal- out right outside of L.A. today. Just your, you have any thoughts on Tiger? And I know it's been just a terrible, obviously, first of all, we hope he's okay and sounds like he's in surgery now and has some serious leg injuries, but any thoughts on the Tiger Woods situation? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the main thing is that the injuries aren't believed to be life threatening. And I mean, that's, that's number one. And, uh, you know, we can, we're, we're obvious, it obviously means he's not going to be in the majors this year. And, and that's really unfortunate, but you know, the main thing is about his health. And the other thing is when you consider everything he's gone through, and of course, some of the things he brought upon himself, uh, you know, the, that the incident in 2009, you know, I mean, this is certainly sad and it's, uh, you know, cause for concern, but it's a different kind of concern. Sure. What happened in 2009, uh, back in November, you know, that was a, a personal tragedy. That was a downfall. Uh, it was a dark moment. This is just... Um, you know, just an accident and apparently one that he will survive. So it's a very different kind of thing uh, from what uh, he went through uh, 12 years ago or really 11 and a half years ago. So it's a very, it's in, it's in a very different box 
and just hopefully he'll heal fully. And, and that's uh, the main thing. Yeah, I, saw, I just got done listening to the press conference they did, the L.A. County Fire Department and such. They said that because he was in such a high-end vehicle and all that stuff and the, that, the, that the airbag stuff all worked, basically saved his life, that he said he was in a different type of vehicle. He might he probably wouldn't have survived and that you know, obviously the airbag stuff and all the things on the interior of the car really basically saved his life and, 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 the, and the fatality didn't happen. And, and obviously that's the number one thing is that he's healthy it will be interesting to see if this is, you know, the end of the road from a, from a golfing perspective, you know, obviously depending on the severity of the leg injuries and they're talking about his ankle and compound fractures and all that stuff, who knows, but it'll be interesting to see if he even attempts to make the comeback or if he just says, you know what, I've had an unbelievable career. Uh, I'm just going to call it a day and try to really try to live a healthy, wholesome life for his kids. Absolutely. That's what we're all praying for, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, let's transition to some college hoops. You obviously are, are covering USC. They're, they're having a great year out there in L.A. And uh, Andy Enfield and company, is doing, they're doing great. We were just chatting offline. They've got the number two, most people think, the number two rated prospect, Evan Mobley, a freshman, who's having a great year out, in US, uh, out at USC. And give us a quick little overview of kind of USC, where they're at in this season they're pretty much a lock to get into the tournament, but give us a little overview of USC basketball and maybe the Pac-12. All right. So some, some perspective on what this season is like for USC basketball. It's very rare. It's a very rare season. USC has been seated four or higher in the NCAA tournament twice. Now remember, the NCAA tournament's been seated for 42 years. The first NCAA tournament, which was seated was 1979. So USC's been seated four or higher only twice. Uh, it was a two seed in 1992, a four seed in 2002. That's it. Those are the only two times USC's been seated four or higher. So USC has a chance at a four, uh, might be a five right now, but USC can play its way into a four seed. So that would be very rare. And the other thing that's very rare is that Andy Enfield has won six games in the month of February this season. Never happened before in his previous seven seasons at USC. The, the Trojans would always stumble late in the year. Uh, their their half-court offense usually was easy to defend. And so that's where Evan Mobley comes into play. You know, you know the best USC recruit, certainly this century, uh, maybe all time. Uh, hasn't had a player who affects the game in so many ways at both ends of the court. Passing, court vision, length quickness, soft touch, you know, he has it all and he's going to be a top two or three uh, NBA draft pick for sure. Uh, but the other player who has made USC into uh, a quality team, a team at the top of the Pac-12 with a chance to win a very rare conference title. USC has not won a Pac-12 title since 1985. So USC has a chance to do that. If the other player, other than Evan Mobley, who's done that, put USC in such a good position, Taj Eady, and he is a transfer from Santa Clara. And so Andy Enfield recruited Evan Mobley, but he had to work the transfer market to provide a supporting cast because he had a lot of uh, veterans and upperclassmen departing the program last year. He had to hit the transfer market and he hit the jackpot with a, a guy from Santa Clara. I mean, the, he was not expected to be this good, but he has been averaging over 18 points per game over the last six or seven games. He scored 21 in the first half against Oregon, 
hit three threes in the first minute and 50 seconds of that game to completely set the tone. He's just on fire. Now, USC is a not a very good three-point shooting team in general, but Edie is a, a really good three-point marksman. And so, so just having him to shoot from the perimeter, it makes it a lot harder to double-team Evan Mobley in the paint. It just spreads out defenses, and it just opens up so many more possibilities for USC. So without en- Andy Enfield finding this gem from hidden gem from Santa Clara, Taj Edie, uh, Evan Mobley would be having a much more difficult time uh, trying to carry this team to the NCAA tournament. So we can't forget about Taj Edey as a centerpiece player uh, in USC's rise to the top of the Pac-12. Give me a couple of notes about a couple of te- I know UCLA is having a decent year. Washington State, I think, is having a pretty decent year. Give me, give me a couple of teams in the Pac-12 that you think you're going to make the tournament. Okay. Well, Washington State, uh, it, it, I Washington State has a guy Isaac Bonton who if, if he returns next season people think the Cougars are definitely going to make the NCAA tournament which would be tremendous for them uh, this season you know that's been you know up and down uh, Washington State's probably headed for the NIT but Washington State did just beat Stanford in double overtime and again there is a sense that the program is ahead of schedule under head coach Kyle Smith uh, but Washington State's not ha- the only way Washington State makes this year's NCAA tournament is by winning the Pac-12 okay. tournament um, we're looking at probably four bids, USC, UCLA, Colorado, uh, and, and Oregon. Stanford is the team that's right on the bubble cut right. line. Stanford Stanford hosts Oregon on Thursday. Stanford's at USC next week. Stanford need, must get at least one of those two games, maybe both, but at least one uh, to feel better about its NCAA tournament chances. If Stanford goes over two, against Oregon and then uh, USC next week, yep. not going to get in un- unless it wins the Pac-12 tournament. So the Pac-12 is probably going to have four bids, could have five. You know, it's okay, but um, the conference has to be worried about a couple things. One is that uh, it might not get a single protected seed. You know, I talked earlier about USC being between a four and a five. Right. So, I mean, if <clears throat> USC could win the league and yet not be a top four seed, that speaks to a pretty weak season. You know, right. you don't have a heavyweight team that's going to be a two seed uh, or even like a strong three seed. The, 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 the Pac-12 is not going to get any team on the top three seed lines, uh, barring, you know, an incredible run by USC where it wins like each of its next six games. That's pretty doubtful. USC is probably going to lose at Colorado, right. truth be told. Uh, and, then, and then USC has to win at UCLA to have any – remote chance at a three USC's USC's ceiling is probably a four seed. And so if that's the pack best, the PAC 12 has to offer, it's not really a good year. You know, Arizona, of course, self-imposed right. an NCAA tournament ban. So it's kind of hard to judge the Wildcats season, knowing that players weren't playing for March. They knew early in the, in the season that the NCAA tournament was not part of their future. So it's kind of hard to evaluate Arizona. Arizona's win over USC this past Saturday if we were evaluating Arizona's resume strictly in relationship to the NCAA tournament, that win probably would have put Arizona on the good side of the bubble. But if you're Arizona, you shouldn't be on the bubble. You should be, you know, having a strong season. And and we're all wondering out here in the West, if Sean Miller is going to be let go, you know, if if, if he's such a headache, he's such an albatross around the bull, they haven't fired him. So, I mean, they obviously, 
a part of the, the school leadership and administration hopes that he can revive that program, turn it back into the juggernaut it was a few years ago, you know, when Arizona was like a, either a one seed or a two seed yeah. most years. But then, you know, all the scandals caught up with the program in recent years. So they're hoping for the turnaround. But if he doesn't generate the turnaround, it's hard to justify Keep him. keeping him on. And, you know, people who follow the program closely, Jason, they're thinking that, you know, the next natural coach for that program is one of the former NBA stars, either Jason Terry or Damon Stoudemire. Damon Stoudemire's yep. co uh, coaching Pacific. You think that they right. can rock and roll on the recruiting trail. They can connect with today's athlete. Uh, those are, those would, would both make sense as replacements for Sean Miller. So you think, okay, if, if you want to go for that, why not do it? Uh, but Arizona hasn't made the move yet. But, but it, the big picture is in the Pac-12, you want UCLA to be really, really strong. Right. Uh, the Bruins are a good team, but they haven't dominated anybody. They, they've been winning close games all season. Now, in fairness to Mick Cronin, Chris Smith, uh, one of their best players, got injured early in the season. Right. And uh, they've, they've had injury problems in the front court with uh, Cody Riley and Jalen Hill. Um, so the U U UCLA has not been playing with its full roster even then, though, the Bruins are just skating by, winning lots of two- and three-point games. UCLA is not at that heavyweight status yet. And so the, everyone in the Pac-12 is waiting for UCLA and Arizona to regain heavyweight status. You get those two programs going. You have the Oregon Ducks What's under Dana Altman doing well. And then you might have, you know, a conference that can do some serious damage in March. But this year doesn't seem to be happening. Um, the Pac-12 – would be fortunate to get one team into the second weekend in the Sweet 16. What's going on with Arizona State? I really thought Bobby Hurley getting there was going to turn things around. He's had a, he had a couple good years, and now it's kind of a back going down the other way. What's what? You would think that guy would be able to recruit guys, and he did a decent job the first couple of years. But what's going on with Bobby Hurley? Yeah, well, you know, to be to be fair to, to Hurley, COVID-19 really whacked Arizona State this season. They, they've, they've had trouble getting their desired starting five on the floor on a regular basis. Uh, Remy Martin's their best player. Right. He had to attend a, a family funeral in January, so he missed games against UCLA and USC. If Arizona State... State wins at least one of those two games. That was, you know, in the second week of January, that was an, a homestand in Tempe. ASU lost to UCLA in overtime, then lost to USC down the stretch. If, if ASU wins one or both of those games, maybe the trajectory of the season is different. But that having been said, ASU was struggling with uh, weaker teams in non-conference play before the Pac-12 season began. I mean, ASU got wiped out by UTEP uh, in December. Right. And, you know, that shouldn't be happening un under any conditions. Uh, you know, one of the highly touted recruits Hurley brought in this season was Josh Christopher. Uh, you know, Arizona State was in a lot of people's uh, preseason top 25s on the basis of, the, of a belief that Josh Christopher was going to be a very high impact recruit. Hasn't really turned out that way. Uh, it's It's been Remy Martin who's been asked to to uh, prop up this team. And he hasn't really gotten a lot of help from other sources, from his teammates. Uh, so it really does seem, Jason, that as you, as you alluded to, this is not going in the right direction. 
Uh, Arizona State had a lot of preseason hype, and, I, and that comes from making the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. ASU didn't really do very well in the NCAA tournaments that it made, but it got those bids. And I think just the fact that ASU got those bids created kind of a benefit of the doubt situation where people were inclined to think that Hurley would be able to move things forward, but it has regressed. And one particular point to make here, Jason, I watched the end of that UCLA game this past Saturday night. ASU up to with 53 seconds left in regulation in Los Angeles, um, Hurley calls a timeout. Now, Remy Martin is a great one-on-one operator. You know, he, he's, he's great in isolation situations, just using his creativity with the dribble uh, to create his own shot. So if you have that kind of player as, the, as your main ball handler and scorer, why are you calling a timeout? You know, you should just let the action flow let your guy create instead of stopping the game. But let's push that aside for a second. If you're going to call a timeout, that's obviously designed to get players to make the right reactions and responses in a crunch time situation. Well, what happened after the timeout is that ASU botched every single response in those final 48 seconds. Remy Martin committed, lost the ball, committed a loose ball foul. UCLA got two free throws. And then ASU just threw up a, 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 a wild three-pointer on its possession. UCLA gets the ball with eight seconds left in a tie game, gets throw, puts up, pushes the ball down court, gets three, two offensive rebounds, three chances, and gets fouled on the third chance and hits a free throw with a second left to win. So Hurley calls a timeout. We can debate whether the timeout was smart or not. That's one conversation, but the what, what we can't really debate at all is that after calling that timeout, ASU screwed everything up. So what kind of coaching are the Sun Devils getting from Bobby Hurley? You know, if, if you're going to bother to call a timeout, you make that timeout valuable. You make sure everybody knows what to do. ASU did everything wrong after that timeout. So what's going on in the huddle? Ooh. So it, it, it does seem to be dawning on more and more people who cover the Pac-12 conference that Bobby Hurley is in over, if, if he isn't in over his head, he's really doing a terrible job. And, right. uh, and, and with Remy Martin, you know, he, st- he came back another year. That was no guarantee. Now he's not going to be of the program next season it really does seem as though Arizona state is going down, down, down in Tempe, man. Crazy. But all right. So we're, two, we're two and a half weeks from selection Sunday. Me and you are both fans of the game. To me, selection Sunday is one of the funnest days of the year for me, just in the anticipation of the six o'clock brackets being released on CBS as a kid growing up and adult and all that stuff. Were you always a big selection Sunday kind of waiting, anticipating for the brackets Absolutely. So I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to disclose my age. I'm 45. Uh, I'm right there with in, you. I'm 47. In my, in my teenage and 20 something years, I would make brackets. You know, right. I would, I would, you know, I didn't get paid a cent. I would yeah. just make up my brackets, project all the seeds, nice. where they were going. Or is it, is it a Thursday, Saturday or a Friday, right. Sunday? Right into that whole thing yes it felt like christmas morning that was my christmas morning even more than december 25th and so you know it was a real gut punch not only to not have the ncaa tournament last year but to not even have a revealed bracket and i think they should have revealed a bracket you know because they pretty much got to the end of the season at least 
give teams the satisfaction of knowing that they made the tournament. Right. And just a little kind of a pet peeve here. We should count NCAA tournament appearances for all the teams that were safely in the field last year. So like, for example, I cover USC. USC was solidly in the field last year, won three games at the very end, beat UCLA in early March. USC was going to be either a nine seed or a 10 seed. That's an NCAA tournament appearance. We should The historical record book should treat that if you were safely in. Now, if you were a bubble team, okay, you can't really do that. But, but the, we know which teams were safely in the field right. that should be credited as an NCAA tournament appearance yeah I used to I like I said I always love just turning on CBS and you hear Gumble and Clark Kellogg and those guys reveal the brackets and then you know you see the reaction of the teams all over the country from the from the Dukes of the world all the way to the Tennessee Chattanoogas of the world when they go in the east region the Duke Blue Devils will play the Mississippi Valley State Devil Dogs you know just that I just love that hour and a half of TV on CBS. It's just, it's just really cool. So. It's magic. I mean, the best moments are when that bubble team from right. a small conference, a mid-major bubble team that wasn't sure if it's going to get in, they show that team as the 11 seed, and right. it just goes nuts. That's then, my favorite Selection Sunday moment. Yeah, and then, and then, and then when they – You know, it's, they, one thing, it's one thing, Jason, when, like, uh, you know, we all – and we all know that there's at least one of these teams every year. And it could, it's probably this year, it might be like Minnesota or maybe Indiana. Right. And the team that is uh, eight and 10 in the conference, but it gets in because its wins are so strong. You know, that's not really a heartwarming feel good story. You know, that's the big boy getting in because of the name and just because of, because it gets so many chances to get quality wins. That's not warm and fuzzy, but when the mid-major, the VCU, team that's, you know, 25 VCU, and three. The year VCU went to the final four, they uh, were 11 seed. And yeah, it was sweating it out, and yeah. the committee puts it in. That's the best. Absolutely. That's the best. Absolutely. I, I, that's, again, that's a great part of the of college, just athletics in general, just the, the whole thing. So, all right. So we got conference tournaments coming up here in a couple of weeks for most everybody. What are your thoughts on teams potentially opting out especially like the teams you mentioned that were are, that they think they're safely in the in the field teams opting out of their conference tournament because the NCAA has created a rule where you have to be 7 days in a row of clean covid testing in order to play in the tournament and obviously teams are worried about playing other teams maybe other teams that are not in the not in the mix for the tournament not being as careful with their protocols what are your thoughts of should teams be able to opt out if they if they want to, or should they have to play in order to, to get into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, well, I mean, like the 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 most interesting scenario along these lines is uh, the you know the possibility that's been floated that you know Gonzaga would not play in the West Coast Conference right. tournament, and, and you know just the, the main thing there is that the the West Coast well the the NCAA tournament the selection committee should just say okay if that happens. Gonzaga gets the automatic bid. You know, you can have other teams play in the WCC, the West Coast Conference Tournament, but they're not playing for an on just, uh, just imagine the bid manipulation involved there. I mean, if Gonzaga taking itself out, well, you, you give then a non- right. 
at right. large worthy team a chance to play its way in the field that's not fair right to anybody else so we just need to make those kinds of adjustments if any of those things happen uh you know i wouldn't really support the idea of opting out you're in a conference with other conference members you know i think there's an obligation to the other teams I in your agree. conference that you participate uh you, you know have, otherwise me, you should just be an independent and you to know? me so, and to me you haven't opted out you've played all the regular season games so why aren't you yeah. gonna go play two or three more games in a tournament setting i mean I, to me I, i'm not a fan of that one bit and to me if a team opted out of the conference tournament they and i know it's they're not going to kick them out of the ncaa tournament but there should be a severe penalty for that because like you said, it's not fair. It's not competitively fair to do it. Cause again, you're opening up a bid for somebody else and it's just not, you've played, you, you've decided to play under these conditions. You've decided to, to undertake the protocols, risk it. Everybody's risking it every day to some degree. So to me, you should have to play all the games conference tournament included. That's true. The other point I'd make, Jason, is that, you know, frankly, we should be focused on making up regular season games instead of having to play conference tournaments. And, you know, conference tournaments make for great entertainment right. and great television. But this is a year in which I think you give automatic bids to your regular season conference champions right. and you make up these regular season games. I mean, you want to look at the look at the uh, ACC, for instance. Florida State is in first place, Virginia Tech's in third. You want those two teams to play in the regular season so that when you uh, settle the regular season conference championship, you know that the top teams have played each other. So they haven't rescheduled that Florida State-Virginia Tech game. Those are two top three teams in a Power Five conference and a conference that takes its basketball very seriously. I mean, the ACC has Clemson in football, but the ACC, of course, is a basketball conference. Right more than anything else you should be have the acc should be having its number one and number three teams playing in the regular season at so to me that's once. more important than having the conference tournament even though the ACC perishes its conference tournament i i in, in a pandemic situation you know it's good this is going to be the only season with these particular details i mean that doesn't mean that uh, the the 2022 season won't have certain challenges i mean we'll still be kind of sifting through some of them but this season this cycle is obviously the worst right. you know, this has been the most difficult uh that we're ever going to have um the acc should be focused on making sure all the top teams play each other i mean we're, the big 12 is going through this as well and you know it was rumored that virginia west virginia baylor was going to be canceled so that that turned out thankfully to not be true they're going to just play uh a week next week instead of on thursday right. so they're just moving the game around so thank goodness but we should be making sure that top teams play each other in the race now obviously if there's a team that's three games ahead and it's not going to matter okay fine but if teams are leading by one game one and a mm -hmm. half games right that they should be playing other top teams in their conference. That's strikes me as a much bigger priority than playing a conference tournament. I got you. I got you 100% on that. Are you going to be excited that the entire tournament's going to be in, in, in the state of Indiana, kind of Indianapolis, Purdue, IU. Uh, they're going to set up two courts. I, I think two different venues kind of within um, in Indianapolis at the, at the main arena there in Indianapolis. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, if you're going to have to centralize it, Indianapolis and the state of Indiana is a great place to do it. 
I went to grad school at IU, so I know Assembly Hall really well. I've been to Indianapolis for the Final Four up there the year I was there. So I think it's a great decision to put it in Indianapolis. It'll be interesting to see, obviously, and in the, in the NCAA also came out and said they're going to allow twenty-five up to 25% capacity in the arena. So it's going to be interesting how they sell the tickets and distribute tickets and all that stuff. What, do you, what are your thoughts of the whole tournament being in kind of in the metro Indianapolis area? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You, you don't want teams flying all across the whole country. You want to have them in one spot. So it's just it's simpler. Uh, it's less logistically daunting. That makes sense. And then, of course, yeah, you want to have it in a place that reveres college basketball. So there's no better state than Indiana to yep. have that. So that also makes sense. You know, NCAA tournament games at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. And an, an assembly hall. How cool is that? These great basketball meccas, yep. Mackey Arena as well. Yep. I mean, that that's just wonderful. So it's it's very exciting. The thing that uh, really interests me about this arrangement, Jason, is that, you know, we have the different scheduling for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. I really like having the Sweet 16 games spread out on the weekends, you know, because the long for the longest time, the problem with the Sweet 16 is that you have two games going on at the same time. Right. You know, there would be a great South Regional semifinal on one channel and a great Midwest Regional semifinal on the other channel, and they're going head-to-head. And, you know, there's like there was like a half-hour stagger on the right. Thursday and Friday night right. for the Sweet 16. If that first game uh, goes long, then that second game, the second games in the doubleheader – there's pretty much starting at the same time. And you might remember this as if you're, if you're an NCAA tournament junkie, 2014, Michigan State, Virginia, and Louisville, Kentucky were yeah, both regional that. semifinals happened on the same Friday night. Yeah. So they were both going down the wire at the same time. And you just had to flip back and forth. And, you know, like, damn it, I can't watch <laughs> both of these games. I know, right? You know, I can only choose one. And so, you know, uh, for a long time, I felt they needed to stagger those games, those tip times more, you know, at least right. stagger them by an hour. Like a uh, half, you know, at okay, least a so half, a half, a half, a half difference in the, absolutely, yes. I, I'm with you. Yeah, so, okay, you're starting a first regional semifinal at six Eastern instead of seven, so you might lose a few ratings points, but people can watch the end of every game. That right. was pretty important. So having the Sweet 16 spread out over Saturday and Sunday, that's great. Now, I don't really like the uh, Monday and Tuesday uh, Elite Eight games. Yeah. I realize that's kind of a, you know, a concession. What I would have liked to have seen was ha- have the, 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 the time slots as they are, but do it Friday through Monday as opposed to Saturday through Tuesday. So, in other words, have four games spread out on a Friday. Okay, so you're playing – a game at uh, you know n- uh, two o'clock Eastern on a Friday, and it's a Sweet Sixteen game, so some people might miss it. You know what? We do we do NCAA tournament games on in the first round on Friday. We do conference tournament games on on a Friday afternoon. Right? Is it really that much of a hardship to play a Sweet Sixteen game on Friday afternoon? I, I just it, having more games on that Friday, and then you have only one weeknight of Elite Eight games. Right. Uh, so you do Sweet 16 Friday, Sweet 16 Saturday, Elite Eight, two Elite Eight games on Sunday, and then two Elite games on Monday. That seems to be a better distribution. So it's going to be interesting to see how 
the scheduling works and how it fits together. I mean, I, there, there are certain things that, you know, once we get back to a more normal NCAA tournament in 2022, or for sure in 2023, it'll be interesting to see how this year's layout affects uh, the, the, the tweaks and adjustments yeah. in the, the NCAA tournament schedule going forward. All right. Great answer. Great answer there. And I'm with you. I think it's going to be a great venue. I'm going to be interested to see how the tickets, you know, are they going to make tickets pretty reasonable for the people of Indiana? Because obviously you're not going to be a fan of 90% of the teams uh, in your venue that are playing at assembly hall or Mackey arena. Be interested to see how they, how they handle tickets and how many people will travel, how many people the teams like from a USC would travel to Indianapolis for a third, for a Friday, Saturday venue or what, you know, whatever it is. How many teams are going to be allowed? Fans are going to be allowed to travel and will, are willing to travel to Indianapolis for for, for that kind of setting. So it'll be pre- pretty interesting to see how all that works. All right, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Our guest is Matt Zemick. He's the editor at Trojan Wire. He covers US, all things USC football, basketball, Pac-12 action, all that good stuff. He's a great uh, voice on the on the world of college basketball all over the country. So, all right. Let's talk about some blue bloods. We've got some blue bloods that are in trouble. Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State. My team is Indiana. We're all kind of on the, you know, Kentucky, everybody thinks is done. Duke is kind of making a little move here in the last week and a half after one of their best players opted out for the rest of the season. Michigan State's kind of on the bubble. Indiana's on the bubble. Your thoughts on some of the, the blue blood heavyweights in big trouble this year? Yeah, so I think Kentucky, you know, is not going to be an at-large team, but Kentucky might be getting hot at the right time such that it could win the SEC tournament. Right. Uh, Kentucky's Kentucky's probably the team that can best win its its conference tournament and get in through the automatic bid, but Kentucky is very clearly not going to get an at-large. Michigan State, I'd say Michigan State is probably bound for the NIT at this point. Uh, Duke is probably a 50-50 shot right now in terms of being squarely on the bubble, and and it can earn its way into the field, uh, but it still has to actually collect those wins. I wouldn't say Duke is likely to get in. I'd say Duke is pretty much right on the bubble, not even on the good side of the bubble, uh, you know, on, on it, but not on the good side. Um, you know, if, if Duke loses to Louisville um, coming up, you know, Duke would be on the bad side of the bubble for sure. And then but, it would have to win multiple games but you know, uh, to, to, but, to, to improve his chances. But, you know, the name of the front of that jersey is going to have Coach K some clout in that committee room reading. You hate to say it, but if it's Duke versus uh, Loyola Chicago or somebody like that, Duke's going to get the nod. I mean, you hate to say it, but that's just the facts. Yeah, that's that's a reality of Selection Sunday. I mean, out here in the West, we know that uh, you know UCLA. If UCLA is in a bubble discussion with USC or um, let's say uh, BYU, that yeah, you that name on the front of the jersey is going to get the nod. So that that is true. I, I do think that you know Duke was a 500 team just a few days ago. And the ACC is, still has a lot of work to do, but it certainly had conversation. And then I'd say North Carolina likely to be in. That right. win over Louisville is probably going to shore up that resume. But uh, North Carolina is still not a lock. 
So at least one or two more wins. I mean, if, I think if North Carolina beats Florida State this yep. upcoming Saturday, that would pretty much Lock, pretty much have yeah. North Carolina in. I yes. think with, with two wins, yes. if North Carolina gets two more wins, North Carolina is a lock. Um, and then uh, Indiana, you know, uh, Hoosiers, you know, Kansas. Kansas is an intriguing story. Yeah. Well, I think Kansas is going to, is like a five seed right now. And yeah, yeah. Indiana, Indiana needs to beat Rutgers. Yeah. Indiana just needs to collect wins, really. I mean, that's really the thing. Indiana needs to stack together wins. And as you know, Indiana usually takes one step forward <laughs> and then one step back. And that, that, that pattern just has to end. And then that means, you know, just piling together three or four wins in a row uh, for that happening. But so, you know, this this upcoming game against Rutgers, uh, that is a must. And um, and we'll just have to go from there. Yeah, these next two weeks are obviously like like you hear on TV, more teams lose their way out of the tournament than win their way in the tournament. So a team like Duke beating Virginia, beating Syracuse yesterday. You know, if you can beat a North Carolina at the end of the year, you upset, you know, you don't have to win every single game, but you got to win the ones you're supposed to win. And if you can pull one more upset, if you're Duke and maybe win a, at least a game in the ACC tournament, I think they'll, they'll figure out a way to get in, um, you know, again, with the name on the front of their jersey, with the reputation. And again, if you stack them up against other teams, they're probably in pretty decent shape, especially here this last three weeks or so. They, they've been playing much better. So do you see the Big Ten as the best conference in the country? From top to bottom, you know that. Well, top to bottom—that's a very particular phrase. I would say because the Big Ten has fourteen teams, that you know the bottom of the Big Ten is a little bit weaker uh, than than in the Big Twelve. The Big right. Twelve just has, um, you know, Kansas State. Iowa State as especially TCU, you know, and has been very competitive generally. Um, probably going to go to the NIT. Um, so just just as in terms of percentage of teams, the Big 12 has seven NCAA teams out of 10. Uh, the Big 10 is probably going to get nine out of 14. Right. So that's a better batting average for the Big 12 just because it's a smaller – size conference but i mean the big 10 and the big 12 it's clear that those are the two best conferences but i think the 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 big 10 has a little bit more uh fat at at the at the bottom uh with northwestern nebraska penn state uh the 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 big 12 i think has is seven tournament worthy teams tcu is a decent team and you know what i mean You know, Iowa State is uh, hasn't so you know one one is tempted to crack a joke about Iowa State's the best winless conference team ever, um, but uh, it, just the Big Twelve. There's a little it's a little bit leaner uh, than than the Big Ten is, if that, but that's mainly due to the size of each conference. So speaking of the Big Twelve, are you concerned? I mean, Baylor obviously has been on a hiatus for several weeks now with COVID issues and all that stuff. They, they, they and Gonzaga had consensus been one, two in the country going into, you know, a month ago, there was no doubt it was Baylor and Gonzaga. How nervous are you for Baylor coming out of this long break 
and only having a couple of weeks to get kind of their legs back under them and back into rhythm, how nervous are you for, for Baylor heading into the tournament? Yeah, I think the main thing with Baylor is that it, there will be a few games for the Bears to ramp back up before the NCAA tournament starts. I think that's the main thing. I think if Baylor was going into the NCAA tournament cold without having three or four games as a lead-in, that would be worrisome. But I think that Baylor's going to have that lead-in. And, I mean, even if Baylor loses a game – in these next few weeks, Baylor is still going to be a one seed. Absolutely. Now you could make the point that, oh, well, if Baylor loses a couple of games and maybe falls below Michigan on the S curve, the one, the seed list, yeah. you know, that, that Baylor will have a tougher Road. final four semifinal. Maybe Baylor will have to play Gonzaga right. uh, if it loses once or twice, but you know, that that's its own separate problem. I mean, Baylor has not made the final four since 1950. So let's actually just get there first. And I don't see any immediate worries or problems for Baylor in terms of achieving that goal of, of returning to the final four. Baylor's still in very good shape for that. Um, you know, if Baylor, again, if Baylor loses and it, and it falls below Michigan in the bracket, that's a first world great season for that program. Absolutely. I've been, I've been super impressed with Michigan, Ohio state, Illinois, those three teams in the big 10, man. Any one of those three can, to me, can go to the final four and give Gonzaga a really good game. Especially now I watched that Michigan Ohio state game over the weekend, give Juwan Juwan Howard full credit, man. This guy's done a great job coaching them, not just recruiting guys, but he's done a great job coaching them. And they look like they've all gotten better over the course of the year. He looks like he's a really good teacher of the game, not just a recruiter. Completely agree that Michigan Ohio State game was the best game I've seen all year. Uh, you know, it was a 92-87 game, but you watch that game, there was vigorous defense the whole way through. Yep. I mean, guys were giving maximum effort, maximum energy, and yet it was high scoring. I mean, dudes were making shots at both ends. Yep. Uh, so it was a game where, you know, pe- players were scoring, but they were scoring against legitimately good defensive effort that was just a spectacular game and so for Michigan to win that game it speaks to the quality of coaching Juwan Howard is delivering absolutely I, I agree with that and I think any of those th- you know two of those three teams from the Big Ten can easily get to the final four and two of the Michigan and Ohio State could both be one seeds behind Baylor and Gonzaga so it'll be interesting to see how that how all that shakes out of who's a one seed who's a two seed kind of in what region they get slotted into like you said who faces who in a regional final type scenario? Does Gonzaga get the easy road, or is it a, or do they get somebody put into their into their bracket? Because again, remember Gonzaga hasn't had a had a tough game since probably November back in their non conference schedule. So that's always the issue with a team like Gonzaga is their West Coast conference schedule is usually not very good, other than St. Mary's. How will they respond when they get in that classic last four minute kind of game in the second round of the tournament or or the Sweet 16. I, and I've always been a big fan of Mark Few, so give him full credit, too. No, I mean, you know, if you look at Gonzaga's history in the NCAA tournament, the kind of team that bothers Gonzaga is a rugged, physical team that can muck it up, yep. you know, that can really defend 
uh, you know, Texas Tech was that kind of team in 2019. Right. You know, though that, that Texas team that the, made the national championship game against Virginia, that was a very rugged, physical, uh, defensive team. Uh, the, the year before that, Gonzaga was uh, knocked out by Florida State, which has a lot of long 6'9 guys. Right. You know, very tough to, to play against, uh, you know, very strong defense. So, you know, if Gonzaga goes against that kind of a rugged defensive team with some length, you know, that's the kryptonite uh, for, for the Zags. So it, it, that's going to be the thing to watch for on Selection Sunday as far as Gonzaga is concerned. Absolutely. And, and you know this in the tournament bracket, the tournament committee does it every year. They always put together these matchups in the first round, second round, you know, how did how did Duke play? How is Duke playing Indiana when Bob Knight and, and Coach K were together? How is you know all these little intriguing rivalry kind of games? They always put one or two of those in that first round where everybody says, "Damn, what's the committee?" You know, you know the that wasn't just a random these two teams land on this line. You know, it was always a committee, and those are the great things about the tournament. You gotta love it. Well, and, you know, with the pandemic and there not having been uh, a tournament last March, you know the committee wants to juice up the TV matchups for CBS and Turner to give everybody something a little extra to follow. So, yeah, you you know it's coming. Absolutely. All right, we're going to get you out of here in this last thing. Sleeper teams. We're going to talk – give me a couple of – whether they're mid-majors or big-majors, give me a couple of sleeper teams that you kind of like – you know, is a Loyola Chicago, are they for real? Is a Drake, are they for real? You know, a team like Texas, who I like, I've seen them play a couple times. I kind of like what they're doing. Give me a couple sleeper teams, whether they're mid-majors or not, that you think can can do some damage and win a couple of games in the tournament or even go to the final, you know, a final eight kind of scenario. Well, I think just in terms of mid-majors, you have to take Loyola Chicago seriously after what the Ramblers did in 2018 and you know i'm out here in the west and you know um utah has struggled under larry kriskowiak and porter moser is a former rick majeris assistant he's the coach at loyola right. chicago right. You know, i think utah needs to get go out and get needs to fire larry kriskowiak and hire porter moser but as long as porter moser is there at uh, loyola chicago i mean that is a dangerous team which has already proved it can do damage in a bracket uh, g- given the right path. Right. So if uh, Loyola Chicago goes to the region with the fourth number one seed, in other words, the, the number one seed, which is not Gonzaga, Baylor, or Michigan, then Loyola Chicago could, could get on a roll. Right. So that, that in terms of a mid-major team, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. In terms of uh, like a, a four or a five seed, maybe even a six or a seven, that could go go to the elite eight and and maybe threaten to go to the final four. I think that uh, you know there's going to be a team in either the Big Ten or the Big Twelve yeah. that you know has a medium level seed because the, the those conferences are so good. Right. Um. You know the the, the competition's been so good that at least you know one team's been pushed down in the pecking order. But then you get those teams outside of their conferences, they could really be formidable. Uh, in March. So I'm thinking of like West Virginia from the Big 12 and Wisconsin from the Big 10. Wisconsin, you know, won the Big 10 last year. It's the Badgers have been roughed up this year. Wisconsin's going to be like a six or a seven seed. 
But um, first off, Greg Gard has taken mid-level Wisconsin seeds into the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, in the past few years. So that there's precedent for that. And But then just the fact that Wisconsin won't be playing Big Ten teams, it'll be playing teams in other conferences, that's the kind of example of a team which, you know, could go from a six or a seven seed and make a run to the Elite Eight, threaten to go to the Final Four. So, you know, kind of the mid-tier teams from the Big Ten and Big 12 are both attractive candidates to get on a roll, provided that they get the right bracket. Yeah, I agree with you. And I know they're not a sleeper team, but I really like Florida State. I mean, I think Florida State's due to go to a Final Four. They've been right there on the cusp for the last four, three or four or five years with Leonard Hamilton getting to the Elite Eight a couple times. I really think, you know, they smacked uh, Virginia around about a week ago. I really think Florida State could be a team um, that's, that can go a long way. One more question. How do you think these teams will react? They've not played with fans most of the year, and all of a sudden you're going to have a 25% capacity. You know, you're going to have six or 7,000 in, in, in an arena, in a tournament setting. How do you think some of these teams will react having fans in the building as opposed to when they've not played for 25, 20, 25 games without fans? You know, I'd like to tell you, Jason, exactly how this is going to go, but I think we just need to sit back and enjoy the the unpredictability that this is going to be an NCAA tournament unlike any other. I mean, I'd be inclined to think that chaos is really going to dominate uh, at this tournament. Um, but, you know, the, we, we, you know, there's just there just isn't a precedent for this. Right. You know, we don't have anything previously to compare this to. So really, I think the most responsible answer is to just say, hey, let's just sit back and see how these kids uh, process everything that's going on around them. Uh, it's, it's just going to be uh, an extra dose of drama in which in what is going to be an NCAA tournament that we're all going to cherish because we've been gone two years without this. It was so sad and unfortunate a little bit more this year. And that's the, really my main takeaway. Awesome. Well, great job, Matt. I mean, Matt, Matt does a fantastic job covering the West coast and USC. He's the editor at Trojan wire catch Matt on his Twitter uh, handle at Matt Zemek Z E M E K he, does, he puts out stuff all throughout the day and the weeks about everything, political stuff, sports stuff, cult, pop culture stuff, and all that in between. So, Matt, great job, man. Enjoy this Selection Sunday, me and you. Even though it's going to be a little different this year, I'm still going to love it and sit down and watch every minute of it. And I hope you do too, and I know you will. So thanks again for coming on the podcast, and have a great week, man. It's always a pleasure, and I can't wait for the revelation of that bracket. I hear you, man. Have a great week, Matt. Take care. Thanks, we'll be, Jason. Appreciate it. Yep. We'll be right back on the podcast in just a minute. Thanks.